Eichner Evening by Brian Marsh. Welcome to the home of Olivia Pinkney Sears. Her home is located on Lewisburg Square in Boston, Massachusetts. Olivia Sears is a descendant on both sides of many Brahmin forebears. The home we see here represented has been in the Sears family for many generations. The furniture that inhabits this room descends from a similarly distinguished provenance. Olivia Pinckney Sears' deceased husband, Leland Osborne Sears, favored furniture of the William and Mary period. Olivia favors the more delicate Queen Anne style. Upon her marriage to Leland Sears, she moved many antiques from the Pinckney home in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Accordingly, we see examples of such furniture in this room. Indeed, she and her guest are at present seated upon Queen Anne armchairs. Olivia Pinckney Sears and her friend, Julia Gardner Chase, are of that venerable Brahmin caste that celebrates its traditions, even as its members revel in the shadowy subtleties and nuances so peculiar to their inheritance. Olivia Sears' maid, Bridget, who is ever ready to fill glasses of wine or distilled spirits, is of a more recent provenance. It is springtime. The year is 1950. Mozart plays softly in the background. Bridget, dear. Would you kindly fill Julia's glass? Her vintage Cabernet Sauvignon appears to have uh, unaccountably disappeared. Oh, certainly, madam. Thank you, Bridget. Very good, madam. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julia. I'd forgotten all about your cousin Asa Peabody and the story of the giant snake. Such a hilarious tale. <laughs> you were such a naughty child, devious, wicked, and possessed of a certain mischievous charm. Whatever happened to cousin Asa? Well, for one thing... He developed a morbid fear of snakes. <laughs> I am hardly surprised. One can only imagine the depths of such fear. After awakening to the sight of a huge boa constrictor, fangs bared, its beady eyes staring at you as if eager to swallow you whole, <gasps> Ugh. makes me shiver to think of it. Cousin Aza did more than shiver. He leapt out of bed and ran out of the house stark naked. He frightened dear Aunt Lavinia so severely that she began leaping about, yelling, There's a man, a naked man here in Barnstable. Then she fainted. Father had to get the smelling salts. When Aunt Lavinia revived, she was told not to be afraid. It was only Cousin Asa. She refused to believe it. Cousin Aza does not look like that, she insisted. Cousin Aza returned several minutes later, 
covering his private parts with leaves. Of course, those leaves turned out to be poison ivy. (laughs) (laughs) Cazenaza was a brilliant student at Harvard. To his dismay, he had failed botany. (laughs) (laughs) Poor cousin Asa. I can't help but feel for him. It was a mean trick to play on the poor boy. I can't imagine what he had done to deserve such a thorough humiliation. Did you know, Cousin Aza? No, not at all. Then you have no cause for any sympathy whatsoever. Aza Peabody Pinkney had the meanest temperament of any Pinkney since the ancestral line grafted itself upon this colonial stem. Twelve generations of Pinkneys and only one reprobate. Asa Pinkney has no peer when it comes to dissolution, degradation and disgrace. Ah, yes. The three Ds of Yankee abomination. You did say something about his academic brilliance? Yes, there was that. But he never did finish Harvard. Dropped out after the Barnstable Snake incident. Dropped out? Moved to Ireland. Cousinesa moved to Ireland? Yes, indeed. Settled in Dublin. No snakes there. Well, bless St. Patrick. Ireland was generally kind to Asa. Became a barrister. Then promptly drank himself to death. Oh, how sad. It is the custom among barristers, the mark of a successful career at the bar, also a favourite occupation in that territorial incendiary. Shakespeare was Irish. He was not. The proof is in his plays, Act Five. Quoth Gertrude, it's the drink, Hamlet, the drink. Oh, you are wicked. Very, very wicked. And you must apologise. My second husband, three months after our divorce, married a young woman of an Irish persuasion. Oh, please, Olivia, do forgive me. I had no idea. Must we listen to Mozart? He gets on my nerves after precisely 15 minutes. Makes me want to take a pill. Oh, very well, Julia. Let us dispense with Wolfgang. I shall tend to the Victrola. An acronism, I know, but there you are. With whom shall we replace the jolly Salzburger? Olivia rummages through her collection of LPs. She finds a disc of her choice and selects her favorite movement. Now, here we are. Bruckner. Bruckner? Now who's being wicked? (laughs) I am, Julia, and delightfully so.
You remember that Bruckner evening, that deliciously outré gathering where we shared all, and embarrassment be damned. <laughs> it is constantly in my thoughts, a peak experience, the finest of my own sad and tawdry life. And I blame it all on Bruckner, Knobs Creek, and single malt. <laughs> Millicent Simsbury polished off two bottles of Cutty Sark all by herself. Said it was because she liked clipper ships. More wine. Hit me. Bridget. Yes, madam? Julia's glass needs attention, as does my own. Thank you, Bridget. Very good, madam. Julia, I believe you invoked the name of Millicent Simsbury. I did indeed. Millicent certainly could put away the sauce. I believe it was in the middle of her second bottle that she told the story of a camping trip to the Adirondacks. Got mixed up with a group of forest rangers. Oh, her story became positively steamy and... Excessively anatomical. <laughs> How could we forget that? Whoever would have imagined that of Millicent Simsbury? Wasn't it you who told the story of that musician, the one who played in symphony? Oh, yes. Very fresh in my mind, that one. Didn't you call him Maestro? Oh, no. That was the conductor. But I more often called him the baton. The musician was dubbed the piccolo. Oh, yes, it's coming back to me now. But uh, I need a refresher. Remind me of the details. Spare no nuance. Very well, then. The piccolo actually did play the flute. But he was much more of a piccolo, if you know what I mean. Oh, I can only imagine... What was he like in terms of technique? Well, Olivia, in addition to being shrill and high-pitched, particularly at peak moments during the concert, he preferred the darkness to the day. The darker the better, he would say. He repeated the darkness phrase often, usually pianissimo. It was his leitmotif, delivered in precisely rendered notes that thrilled the audience. Oh, Julia, well, don't stop. Do go on, please. Well, the piccolo believed ardently that the symphonic music created by orchestral movements were best heard in total darkness. The subtle differences emerging out of the most full-bodied expressions and the surprising intonations that resonate with unexpected brilliance as if chanted fervently from a thousand choral voices. At such times, the piccolo vibrated with uncanny sonority. You understand my notation? Oh, but I do, Julia. As if I had pierced the darkness and stood quivering witness to the movements upon that great soundstage 
now made visually manifest. Olivia, you make me blush. Fair Julia, be not discomfited. I speak only as one who, in the presence of Bruckner here assembled, testifies to the grand and glorious Bruckner evening of old, where all hearts were opened and all secrets divulged. Yes, it was a truly grand evening. One long past. <laughs> past, but not forgotten. Not certainly as long as we have each other. And Bruckner to prompt remembrance. Tell me what happened to the young piccolo. Alas, like all instruments that once made joyful noise, he was packed away in his monogrammed case and shelled for all time, his playing days at an end. Oh, too bad, too, too bad. Weep not for sounds departed. They linger but for a few moments in time. Even performances of the Grand Symphonies expire in less than an evening. Except the Bruckner, of course. We have the LP to prove it. Uh, does not LP mean long playing? Why, it does indeed. Olivia, you must tell me about the artist, the one you called Old Paint. Hmm, old paint. <clears throat> yes, dear old paint. A man of infinite colour and advanced aesthetic. Oh, a man who carried every hue and pigment with enormous power and grace. A forceful and immensely creative artist who embodied all that any connoisseur of the visual and tactile experience might wish for. <laughs> Details, Olivia. Give us the details. <laughs> he was, above all, imaginative. Imaginative? Oh, my. He worked with a variety of implements. There were brushes, of course, but he was also expert with the trowel. The trowel? Seriously? Oh, yes. Watching that man work with the trowel was, well, indescribable. I'll have to leave that to your imagination. Working on it. Though watching him work with the brushes and the trowel was a truly magical experience. His unimplemented hands produced the masterpieces of his craft. The result was, oh, how can I say, transcendent. Oh, the memories of which shall outlast this lifetime. Describing his manual processes is almost <laughs> impossible to render. Oh, do try, Olivia. Do try. Render. Please render. Oh, such memories. I have watched him dip each of his fingers into a different colour. Then... When the canvas had been suitably prepared for, he would press his damped and rainbowed fingers into the taut but subtly pliant surface. I could watch with deep delight 
to observe the sparkling white and expertly prepared veneer to give way as the carefully toned pigments were applied. He left his rainbow vision there and then, and subsequently, with everything he touched, impressions never to be forgotten. And he performed his colourful acrobatics in daylight? Oh, yes. He was very particular about the quality of the light. Everything had to be seen clearly. Darkness and shadowy ambiguity was simply not allowed. Oh, a consummation devoutly to be wished. Indeed. Sam, pardon the interruption. Yes, Bridget. You you have a visitor, a certain Millicent Simsbury? Millicent Simsbury is here. She's waiting in the narthex. Shall I show her in? By all means. Thank you, Bridget. Very good, madam. The narthex. Olivia, I shall never get over the heights of wickedness to which you aspire. Oh, I shall have you know that our anteroom was christened by Bishop Brooks back in 1898. It has been referred to as the Narthex ever since. I understand he christened many a stable on Beacon Hill, terming them all the Narthex. That's a lie. He told Grandfather Sears that this was the only one. Well, now, how can I contradict the jolly cleric? Do you suppose we will have fresh stories about forest rangers? One can only hope. Mrs. Millicent Simsbury. And here she is. Millicent Simsbury enters. She is a grand dame in the most expansive Brahmin tradition. Welcome to you, Millicent. Thank you, Olivia. I have just come from the most delightful luncheon at the Chilton. Oh, but you have company. Surely you know Julia Gardner Chase? Well, of course I do. We are cousins, related on the Gardner side, are we not? I believe so. Common ancestors and the like. We share the same great-great-grandfather on the maternal line. Of course, we are all related to the Sears line. Nicholas Sears was a prominent banker in the 19th century. He sired 12 children, all of whom... Uh, a glass of wine, Millicent? Single malt, if you have it. Neat. Coming right up. Thank you. Oh, as I was saying earlier, I had the most delightful luncheon at the Chilton. Everyone was there. And the talk was all about the seasonal moving about. Marblehead to Kutwit, Beverly Farms to Cohasset, Newton to Newport. Oh, you know how it is. Absolutely delightful. One single malt scotch? 
Thank you, Olivia. My, that was a short glass. I'm afraid we are now out of single malt. The last battle has had its requiem. That is a real pity. But I understand that the resurrection has taken place at the Chilton. Oh, shall we then repair to the Chilton? A capital idea. You know, when I came in just now, I believe I heard Bruckner playing on the stereo. Why, yes, there he is. I have had so many moments, happy moments, listening to Bruckner. The BSO, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, offers a Bruckner evening now and again. I do like Bruckner. Perhaps I should bring him up at our next board meeting. I sit on the board, you know. Yes, we did know that, didn't we, Julia? We did indeed. Speaking of Bruckner, we all shared a splendid evening listening to Bruckner. Years ago now. How we laughed and talked, the stories we shared. <laughs> you shared a delightful story about forest rangers in the Adirondacks. Surely you are mistaken. I have never been to the Adirondacks, and I do not know a single forest ranger. Never have. Yes, we know. Oh, you too. <laughs> Having me on, were you? Let us now exit and repair to the Chilton. <laughs> oh, but you have forgotten Bruckner. He's still playing on the stereo. Relax. The old fellow will turn off all by himself. He does tend to do that, doesn't he? But let's dispense with dear Anton. There are far more interesting gentlemen to invoke at the Chilton. I understand a troop of forest rangers is camped right outside their hallowed doors. Shall we pay them a visit? <laughs> oh, you two are so incorrigibly wicked. <laughs> <laughs> The ladies collect their handbags and scarf, adjust their clothing, and sally forth into the city. They chat amiably, eager to share their profound discoveries of the past with their counterparts at the Chilton. to That Bruckner Evening by Brian Marsh. Olivia was played by Catherine Montelleron. Julia was played by Diana Stewart. And Wander O'Connell was Millicent. Production was by Brianda Cross. If you have enjoyed this audio drama, please give us a generous comment on your podcast platform. Promote us on your social media and turn to fastfictionpodcast.com to scroll down through our library for more productions that may intrigue, 
interest or excite you. Until next time, thank you.